Hi, I'm Andy Ross, and you're listening to Concerts That Made Us. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. episode i'm joined by the fantastic country rocker andy ross we chat about the many facets of his career from his tv show maximum archery all the way up to being the ceo of american rebel and of course we chat about his music career too this is an incredibly interesting and inspiring episode so without further ado let's get on with the show Drummer on a drum kit Ain't a red, white, and blue Doing their thing Playing their part Living the dream With an all-American heart Big rig burning up the asphalt you're very welcome to concerts that made us thank you very happy to be here i've been looking forward to this for some time yeah yeah it's been a a while coming around i've been looking forward to it myself it's an honor to have uh someone with so many accomplishments under their belt appear on the podcast well thank you for that i've just uh i've been really blessed you know one of uh and i'm sure we'll get into it but i've just had one um you know, thing that I've worked on lead to the next. And it's just, uh, it's just been a, it's been a fun ride. 
Now, to name a couple of your achievements, you're a TV host, an outdoorsman, a musician, CEO. Your song Playing in Mud is the theme song for Fox Sports GNCC Racing Series. How do you find any time in the day to do anything else? Well, you know, all those, uh, a lot of those things you mentioned, not all of them happen necessarily uh, simultaneously. So I had a TV show uh, for 10 years on the outdoor channel, Sportsman's Channel Pursuit Network called Maximum Archery. Um, and I bow hunted the world seven months out of the year being filmed for 10 years. And it was quite a, quite a schedule. Um, I had, you know, about halfway through year four, year five, is when all these X games came out where all these kids were doing these fun things with skateboards and bicycles and motorcycles and snowmobiles and video games were coming on. And I said to my, uh, my cameraman, I said, you know, kids aren't going to want to watch me sitting in a tree, just going, Hey, it's Tuesday. The wind's out of the West. You know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta liven this thing up if we're going to compete with, with the other options that kids have uh, today. So we changed the name from Maximum Archery to Maximum Archery World Tour. And we took all the species that we were hunting, the location and the dates, and we put them across the back of a T-shirt, like a concert shirt, like a Van Halen concert shirt or a Journey concert shirt back in the day. And um, I thought, you know, I can play a little. I can probably write. Why don't we like create some theme songs, some campfire songs, something to play when the, when the opener, something to play at the credits, bumping in and out of commercials. And so I wrote some music um, and the music was on the show and that was the beginning of the music career. So as the music career escalated, um, I was I was winding down the TV show. So the, the TV show definitely birthed the music career. I had a lot of artists, national touring artists, especially in, in country music in Nashville that watched my show because they were hunters. And they said, hey, I like your song this, but let me write one with you. And the next thing I knew, I was writing more music and I was writing songs that didn't have anything to do with the show, that didn't have anything necessarily to do with hunting. I mean, in the beginning, I wrote Blood Trail on a Whitetail, Hunt Me Down, Support Your Local Wildlife, Gotta Go Hunt Blues. It was that kind of thing. But when I started writing with other writers, I started making real music and uh, iTunes came along and digital file sharing came along and man, did things just went viral and and uh all of a sudden I, I found myself with a with a real nice little music career going and before the tv show did you have any interest in becoming a music star or mu- a musician or was it primarily you wanted to do the tv show i think i i think i had the same dream that a lot of people have in high school you know when you're that age um you 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 imagine and daydream about being on the stage you know when you go to concerts and stuff um and then you know, wasn't really, it wasn't something that I was really like, uh, you know, pursuing or had my mind made up. I actually was an avid bow hunter and I started making a bow, manufacturing a bow. And then the hunting TV became real popular, especially when digital video cameras came out that made it a lot easier than hauling around that big VCR. And, um, Hunting TV was real popular. Ralph and Vicky, Lee and Tiffany, Michael Waddell, David Blanton, the Drury Brothers, Primos, all these guys had these big shows. And I wanted them, one of them to shoot my bow on TV on one of their shows. But but they wouldn't do it because they already had contracts with existing bow companies. I was a new kid on the block. You know, I had my bow hadn't been, they didn't hadn't heard of it necessarily. And so I decided that I would hire a cameraman that had some experience more than I had. Um, he had done some film work for the Drury Brothers, and I took him on four hunts, and we filmed my four hunts, edited it to a DVD, and I put the DVD in the box with the bows. I'm just making bows. I don't. I'm not even thinking TV show, but they wouldn't shoot my bows, so I made a DVD to have something on, you know, that somebody could watch the bow in action, if you will. And the network got a hold of it, uh, the Outdoor Channel, uh, about four or five, six months after that, and called me up and asked me if I wanted to do a TV show. So I ended up doing my own TV show, which wasn't what I set out to do. Um, And then because I decided to, you know, the TV show, when I changed it from Maximum Archery to Maximum Archery World Tour, we changed really the format of the show. It was still a hunting show. 
but we treated the hunting schedule like a tour. We were on tour, not a music tour, but we were on a tour of hunts making the show. And we started filming the travel, going into a bar and playing darts, doing laundry in some small town on, you know, on an in-between uh, hunting camps and camaraderie around the campfire and, you know, the trouble we almost got into. And the, and the show became as much about the making of the show and the travel as it did the actual hunt. It was kind of a reality show before reality shows. And so the show became real popular. But again, wasn't trying to do a show. That just kind of happened. Then the show, because of the change I made, got real popular. And then when it was real popular, iTunes came out and my music started taking off. So that all of that led to... Uh, you know, to where I sit here today. Yeah, yeah. One thing I love doing now is diving into my guests' history to see where they came from musically. So if you can now, can you tell us your very first musical memory? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I I grew up around music, maybe maybe more so than, than a lot of kids for two reasons. Number one, my dad manufactured guitar amps. He was in, that's the business he was in. So he was around a lot of uh, a lot of musicians and a lot of artists, and he was a big music guy. So we always had music playing in the house, and uh, especially from some of the bands that might have played his amps. And then my brother is six years older than me. My sister is four and a half years older than me. So when you have an older brother and sister that's that many years older than you, you're young, but you're listening to their music because they're dominating the record player. You know, we all didn't have our own record player. There was a big record player in the living room. And, you know, the kids that I was running around with that were my age, they were listening to the Partridge family and, you know, who knows what. But my brother and sister were teenagers and they were pumping down Fleetwood Mac and Bob Seger and, and the Eagles and, and Hart and, you know, Steve Miller and, and, you know, those types of bands were what was being played that I was listening to, but I'm only seven years old. So I got exposed to that, that scene early. And so, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll never forget, um, you know, just being around them. And then of course you might figure with the father who manufactures guitar amps and an older brother and sister, I got to start going to concerts probably earlier, um, than, than a lot of kids because a lot of my friends they were the oldest sibling in the family and I was the youngest by you know five years so my older brother and sister led me around a little bit and uh man I'll I tell you there were so many you know so many great experiences um this may not be my first but I'll tell you one that just floored me at a young 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 age um, I lived in a small town called Chinook, Kansas. I hadn't moved to Kansas City yet. I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, 14 maybe. And uh, some kids from like the city, like from, I don't know, California or Chicago, you know, when kids, parents get transferred and they move into your small town, they bring music with them that you may not hear on your local small town kind of farm town radio station. And, you know, and, and I got to listen to the stuff that the 80s rock that my brothers and sisters were listening to. But this kid, I'll never forget, we were at a little a little party, probably a little young to be at a party, but I was at a party. And he put in Ronnie James Dio, Holy Diver. Uh -huh. And that was the first time I had heard that kind of music, that, that harder, edgier rock. Ronnie James, Holy Diver, hanging from the cobwebs in your mind. <laughs> and the guitar riffs and the stuff. And I was like, what is this? I mean, I just, I got to, I got to know more about this. Mm. And uh, of course that exposed me to, you know, that's, that's where I, from there on, that's when I got exposed to the heart of rock. And I'm, and I'm talking like a little bit, you know, the eighties, you know, the real popular eighties stuff wasn't quite going yet, but, you know, I, I didn't know there was an Ozzy Osbourne. I certainly didn't know there was a Black Sabbath before an Ozzy Osbourne. And I didn't know there was a Judas Priest. And I didn't know there was, you know, that kind of harder rock, um, which developed into more of a glam, heavy metal rock. You know, Motley Crue and, and, and Poison and all that stuff came after. And, and I was, you know, that was easily exposed to that. But I never heard anything quite like that yet. And uh, that that changed the course of my my music 
uh, taste for a while. I'd say so. And how do you think the music you were exposed to at that time has molded you into the musician you are today? So that, you know, I have a sound um, and my sound, my sound, uh, if you will, got molded from the music I liked, which was rock, classic rock, and then a little bit harder rock, and you know, 80s rock, which is what I liked. But my TV show, when I start, you know, my outdoorsiness and my bow hunting that led to me making a bow that led to me having a TV show, that world's very country. So the artists that wanted to work with me that watched my show, a lot of those guys were hunters and they were country artists. And then I wrote with with the Davison Brothers Band. We wrote a song and their producer, Doug Grau, who worked at uh, at. Uh, um, Warner Brothers Nashville assigned and developed Travis Tritt, Little Texas, David Ball, uh, worked with Jeff Foxworthy, produced the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, obviously the Davison Brothers. The Davison Brothers said, hey, we've written this song. Why don't you let our producer produce it and we'll have you come in and sing on it and we'll let the producer do it. And that's how I met Doug Grau. So when my music went viral, Doug's the one who said to me, hey, you should come to Nashville and we should put you with some writers, some good writers and help you make a real record because you've got a fan base buying your music, obviously. And he was trying to politely say, if they'll buy the you know mediocre songs you've written, <laughs> you let me get you with some writers, they'll buy this, you know, some really good music we could make together. So now I'm back to your question. Sorry, I drifted off course there. The question is, how did my sound develop? So I wanted to rock. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to. I wanted to get it. Um, however, my producer is 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 you know as country as cornbread. I mean, that's the music he's developed, and he's saying to me, Andy, I don't have inroads into this into the music that that you're thinking. I've got inroads over here. So we've got to take what you want to do and what I know how to do, and we've got to find a way to meet in the middle. And where where we met, if I had to put a label on it, was you know country rock, southern rock, and um, so you'll hear like you know one of my, one of our staple songs and one of the first uh, songs we had that gained a lot of popularity, Rebel. Uh, what we do for fun around here? Heaven got a Hellraiser. You ain't seen crazy yet. Um, you know those uh, country girls got game. Comes very much back to more of a southern rock sound and feel with maybe a little Andy Ross on it. I was just going to say, you know, it's not, uh, your sound isn't strictly country, you know, for anyone that's listening now that hasn't heard your music before, if they're thinking like the likes of Garth Brooks and, you know, the typical country, that's not it at all. It's like a really cool sort of rock meets country. Well, thank you. That's, uh, that's where we landed. And that's the recipe that, that, uh, that seemed to work for us. And it, it, it made me happy as an artist and a musician. Um, it was a great choice for me to listen to Doug because the music I'm making, um, the music I was digging at the time, you know, really isn't popular at the moment necessarily. Um, it's moved on to something else that's even heavier than what I, what I care for. And, uh, you know, he landed me in a good spot and, you know, to Doug's credit, we, we're, we're finishing an album right now called You Ain't Seen Crazy Yet. It'll be my fourth album of music. And, um, you know, he keeps, he'll still reel me back in to, you know, we got to make an Andy Ross record. Um, and I'll bring him, you know, something that I've, I've demoed, that I wrote with, I've demoed. And he's like, yeah, I, I, I get that. And, you know, it, it does sound like one of them. Uh, it's a great song and it's got one of them, you know, 80s rock anthem sounds to it. but um, you know, what if we, you know, let's pull it back into, to, uh, to what you do and that everybody likes what you do and, and he'll produce it and cut it, you know, when we cut the tracks and stuff and, you know, uh, something I've never done on my new single, all American heart. Um, I think that's the first song that I've ever, uh, had a fiddle put on. There's, there's a couple of violin fiddle parts in it, which is, which is new to me. Um, but Doug's done a good job of keeping us on track. 
And, you know, when it comes time for you to to make a new record, make a new song, what is the process like? You know, do you lock yourself away to come up with the ideas or, or is it more of a collaborative effort? So I've got a group of uh, guys that I've come accustomed to, to writing with. Uh, Porter Howe, you might know him from Little Texas fame. Uh, God bless Texas. Amy's back in Austin. Kick a little what might have been. Uh, John McElroy is a very accomplished songwriter here in town. Mark Sutton from Brother Trouble, Chris Davison from Davison Brothers, Doug Cahan. Um, a group of guys that I that I that, that know how to help me write Andy Ross songs now because they've 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 been on so many writes with me and recordings that they they kind of know where I'm headed. I've got this country rock, patriotic rock and roll kind of thing going and this brand going around it. And uh so the process is this. I don't write all year round like a lot of musicians do. I do come all year round. Ideas of songs come to me and I put them in my notes and my phone, which I back up. And so I've got, you know, when it comes time to start making a record, I've got, you know, 20 or 30 ideas that I think would be good starting places for songs. I go through the list and kind of boil it down and then I'll call Let's say I call Porter Howe and uh, and I'll say to him, you know, I'm starting to work on the next record. You want to, you got any time to write? Yeah, I can. You know, it's Tuesday of next week. Come out, we'll write. And then I'll run down. I'll pick four or five of the ideas that I, you know, I'll try to make my top ten list. And uh, I'll share the ideas with him because he's not going to give me ideas. He's not going to give me his songs. He's only there to help me direct me to write a good Andy Ross song. But it's got to be my song. My song. And so I'll share some of the ideas with him and one of them, you know, one will hit his hot button and uh, he'll say, yeah, let's, I like that. I like that a lot. Let's, let's write, let's work on that. Because if you, if you take an idea to a co-writer, which in country music, you know, we almost always co-write uh, sometimes even with three writers in the room, a three-way write. Um, if the, if the guy you're writing with don't like the idea, then he's probably not you know, going to bring his A game to the table to write it with you because he doesn't think it's a good idea to begin with. Or he might say, oh, man, that, that idea has been written like 10 times. I, you know, I'm not and I'm like, well, I, you know, I'm not around country music as much as you. So maybe I haven't heard it. All right. Well, what about, you know, and then we'll, we'll move on to an idea that hits his. Interestingly, interestingly, uh, interestingly enough, Porter may not like an idea. But when I go write with Doug Cahan, one of the ideas that Porter didn't like may be the one he liked. He may say, oh, I love that idea. Let's write that. And I never want to say, yeah, well, so-and-so didn't really care for that. I never <laughs> say that. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. Let's, let's, let's see where that goes. So, so you might, you know, and you might get down the road and beat your head against the wall all day and it just don't come together and you scrap the idea or you may get, you know, two, three hours into it and you really got something started. Um, so you just go through the process. And then when you got your demos all done and written, which usually takes me about, you know, three months, you know, to write or two a week of my ideas in about three months, I've got enough material. Um, and then I'll go play the demos for Doug Grau and he'll take 14, 16 songs and boil it down to 12, you know, that he really likes thinks we ought to take into the studio. And then we get the studio musicians. We go in and cut the tracks and, you know, 10 of those songs will land on the album. Yeah, yeah. And to uh, to jump back a bit to 2013, you released Cold Dead Hand, which led to you appearing on Counting Cars. And for me, you now, this is one cool thing, because being in Ireland, we don't have access to American cars. And since I was a kid, I've been in love with muscle cars. You actually got your own muscle car made for you. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. I have, have you seen the show Counting Cars? Yeah. 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 So, you know, Counting Cars, as far as car shows go, is, is you know, one of the most, by far, one of the most popular car shows here in the States. It's on the History Channel. And uh, it's largely due to its its host and creator, Danny uh, Coker, a.k.a. The Count. And uh, Danny's a patriot. He's also a musician, by the way. Um, he's an unbelievable musician and tours. And we've done some date. We've done some dates together. Um, but you know, he created this show, Counting Cars, out in Las Vegas. 
And he's a big patriot, gun guy, Second Amendment guy, freedom guy. And they just contacted me and said, hey, we've got an idea, uh, the Second Amendment muscle car. Um, what would you think about being on counting cars and, and working on a car together? And uh, I'd done enough TV, you know, I'd, I'd been on TV for 10 years, you know, and uh, so the, the idea of it sounded great to me. And I went out and met with them and it didn't take any time before me and Danny were, you know, we were buds and talking music. They were trying to get us to film and stuff. And we're, we're going down memory lane of songs and different things and talking about tunes of his and mine. Um, but we put the thing together. They built us the Second Amendment muscle car. It's a 69 Corvette. Um, although they, they've widened it and done a lot of things to it. It has a 396 small block engine in it uh, built out with a Heidelberg fuel injection system. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's muscle car from, from tip to tip. Um, people ask me all the time about how I like driving it. And I've had the car for, you know, handfuls of years. And the truth of the matter is I probably don't have 500 miles on it. <laughs> you know, in my business, it, it's become in the, in the second amendment world it, here in, here in the States, it's kind of become the Batmobile of the second amendment. And I have a business. And so we take it to the trade shows uh, that I attend and uh, that I make appearances at, and it's a big draw. And I just don't want anything to happen to it. I don't even want to scratch on it because it's so important to my brand and my and being in the booth at trade shows and stuff. You know, I'll retire it from that here in a year or two, and and I'll start getting it out in the summer. But right now, it's it's been a show car. Oh, it's one hell of a beautiful car. From if any listeners haven't seen it, they have to look it up. It's it's unreal. But uh, I feel like they're going to be shouting at the speakers now. Ask him what his daily driver is. My daily driver here in Nashville is I have a a, a you know a four door Jeep Rubicon, and uh, it's got a little lift kit on it and tires and wheels and a little work done under the hood. It's not your uh, it's not your necessarily stock Jeep. Um, you know, I kept it, 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 I do drive it on the street, so it's not ridiculously uh, modified, but uh, it's got a, and it's wrapped, it's got a really cool, uh, you know, American flag going across it and, and says, you know, it's got different uh, uh, little patriotic things in the wrap and, and uh, I love it. I drive it. I think the reason I love it so much is because a, a Jeep, even though it's the four-door uh, model, they're pretty short wheelbase. And they turn on a dime and I live in a high rise building in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. So parking lots and parking garages and traffic and it, it does real well in the city and getting in and out of tight spots. So um, I like my Jeep. <laughs> That's another cool thing you guys have over there when it comes to cars. You've got muscle cars and really cool Jeeps. You've surely seen, you know, European Jeeps. They're these little, small, ugly things. Not one thing cool about them. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. I again, I really like it. I've uh, it'll be one of them cars I probably will never get rid of. I'll, I mean, I'll I'll add another car to the to the stable at some point, but I'll probably keep this one around for for a long time. It's a lot of fun. Take the doors, the tops off, go kayaking in the summer. There's a lot of good uh, lakes and rivers around Tennessee and places to go camping and stuff. So it's also you know obviously great for that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned your company. I feel like, you know, you keep making these songs and the song leads to something else. You know, your third album, Time to Fight, and its track Rebel gave birth to your company. Would you like to tell us about the company? Yeah, now there, there's a song on, on Time to Fight called American Rebel, which is actually different than the song Rebel, which was off Cold Dead Hand. Um, but American Rebel, we wrote and uh, wrote that with, with Porter Howe. And uh, we put it out and it went viral as a patriotic anthem. And as music has evolved, or I should say the format of music has evolved, uh, obviously when people made albums, you could sell an album and make money. When we, I wasn't involved in the album years, but I was involved when the CD in the CD years. So we would produce my, my album of music and make a CD out of it. We would sell CDs both off the website, at concerts, you know, all the different ways of selling them, and we would make money. Then when iTunes came out, CDs faded away. And in the beginning, when people would pay to download a song on iTunes, iTunes, you could still make money. 
we were selling a lot more numbers of songs on iTunes because it was so easy and they could just buy one song. We were selling a lot more music, but not really making any more money. But the music was getting out there more. And it was pretty cool. But then when they went to streaming, the, the revenue really kind of fell off. Uh, I have more people listening to my music today than ever, but the revenue fell off for what you receive as an artist or a musician. And so we decided that we would try to monetize the music and this brand of music that I've developed with some products and actually start a company. And on Time to Fight, we had a song called American Rebel. It was doing really well as a patriotic anthem. We decided, well, why don't we just call the company American Rebel? The the music will be the mission statement for the company, and we'll create some products. And we did. And then we created more products, and then we, you know, more products, and we did some acquisitions, and we just started, the business really started growing because we started off with a fan base, and then we developed a whole new fan base of, uh, of like-minded uh, people who wanted our products. And as of February of this year, we're now a publicly traded company on NASDAQ. Oh, man. So I've, um, I've, I'm definitely wearing the hat of CEO public, uh, of the CEO of a publicly traded NASDAQ company. And at the same time, still putting out music and touring and playing. And thankfully, the music and the company are, are uh, you know, they're both like minded. So my, my music promotes the company. The company uh, has products that are, that are in line with the brand of my music. And so one kind of feeds the other. So the two hats I wear aren't that different. If I was making, you know, if I was creating hard rock music and then manufacturing vacuum cleaners, it would be different. <laughs> yeah. But I'm making country patriotic rock and roll. And all of our products are kind of in the 2A space. We make gun safes, concealed carry clothing. Um, we're moving in now to American Rebel uh, e-bikes and some different things. But it's a patriotic brand. I'm playing a patriotic style of rock and roll. And so one hand feeds the other. So two different hats, but uh, they're, they're very similar. I can't say I've ever uh, come across many musicians that have a company that makes, you know, concealed carry and firearm safe, stuff like that. It's definitely, you know, thinking outside the box when it comes to merchandise. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, the song Cold Dead Hand, um, the song, uh, of course, you know, American Rebel, um, you know, a lot of the music that I do um, talks about freedoms and and the, the right to, to bear arms and, and freedom of speech and, you know, a lot of the stuff. So it only made sense to make products that fit into the mold of what I was singing about. You know, if I talked about something every day, it would make sense that the company I would create and the products I would create would be in line with what I'm talking about every day. And the only difference here is I'm singing about it every day. And and now because of great, you know, opportunities like your show and, and all the things I get to do, I guess I'm, I'm also talking about it. So now I'm talking about it, singing about it. So why wouldn't the products, you know, go right there in line? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, a personal question now, do you ship overseas? Can people in Ireland where I am get them? We do, we do and have shipped overseas. And uh, uh, we certainly uh, can uh, make some stuff happen under a, under a special request for a, for a fantastic uh host of a fantastic show so you just uh you got my email so email me what you're what you're thinking and we'll work something out brilliant brilliant thanks a million i'll definitely have to look into that i am i'm sure you know over here we have very different gun laws and stuff like that we're kind of restricted to 22s and if it's pistols it's a 22 and it's mostly just target shooting so it's nothing cool like you guys but i've got a i've got a couple of 22 pistols nice. myself i'm uh fairly big into the the target shooting sport so i'm so jealous of you guys over there you know i'd love a 45 or you know a 357 well if you if you come over here you you get a hold of me i'll take you shooting everything from that to uh to tanks uh, <laughs> I, I got i got some really cool places and some some gun clubs with some special permits that that welcome us in so um as far as target shooting, though, I love target shooting with my 22 because number one, I can hit things with it because um, it doesn't have the, the big re- recoil. 
I'm pretty I'm pretty good with it. Number two, the ammo's cheap in comparison to, to 45 and so on. So uh, it's it's a it's a good way to get out there and have some fun and not too hard on your pocketbook. Yeah, yeah, true, true. And another one I'd love a little insight into as a European, you know, what's what does it mean to you to be patriotic? Because over here we always hear patriotism and patriotic in America, you know, and it's always linked with the Second Amendment and stuff like that. So what does it actually mean to you to be patriotic? Well, I think first and foremost, um, and, and there's a couple parts to this answer, but the first part would be is we have a constitution over here. And I think patriotic just means being respectful to the comp- constitution and the way it was written and, and continuing to believe in, in what it says, freedom of speech and you know right to bear arms are things that are in the constitution and amendments in the constitution. So, um, you know, those things are, are uh part of being patriotic, uh, certainly supporting our military and our veterans that have laid their lives on the line to uphold that constitution and those rights uh, is, is patriotic. And I think um, it's not written in stone anywhere, but, uh, you know, except maybe the Bible, I guess, probably has some stuff in there. But, uh, you know, I think being neighborly, um, helping a neighbor, uh, helping an elderly person across the street, um, being respectful to to others. And, you know, I think that's also being a good person is patriotic. And I think, you know, hard work's patriotic to, 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 to work and hold your own. And, and you have a re- responsibility a little bit to take care of yourself. Um, you know, country was built on hardworking, red-blooded patriots that worked hard and uh, they were respectful to others and they were honest. Um, you know, it doesn't really say that under the word patriotism or, or patriotic doesn't really say be honest, but to me, that's part of it. You know, it's, 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 it's uh, doing, doing what you can. And, you know, I always, we always talk in American rebel, it's, you know, a, uh, uh, somebody who's a, you know, we would like for our, our customer base and our, our like-minded people, you know, they'd, they'd hold the door for, for someone that help an elderly person across the street, help a neighbor. But at the same time, they're not afraid to defend themselves, their family, uh, or possibly even a room full of total strangers or their country. But, uh, I think, I think it's just a, a well-rounded, uh, you know, person, yeah, yeah. Have good values, good ideals, stuff like that. Man, when the values go, everything goes. You know, true, you can true. make all the laws you want, but if 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 a person don't know in their heart, I mean, you got to know about ninety percent of what's wrong and right. You know. Yeah. It <laughs> it no one no law says I I have to run over and beat that eighty five year old person with the cane to that chair so I can have a chair. I can't get arrested for that, but I know it's wrong. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. At this point we'll dive into concerts. You know it is concerts that made us after all. So as a concert goer, what concerts do you think have made you? So there's um I have a variety of concerts that um that I would put among the best concerts I've seen. And I've seen a lot, a lot of concerts. And I've, I've played personally concerts with, you know, as an opening band for bigger bands and bigger bands and, you know, six bands on the bill a night, you know, and seeing those concerts. But I think the concerts that affected me the most were ones I seen early on because now they're, now they're, um, I've seen so many and I've been involved in them and, and behind the scenes and all that. You know, it doesn't quite have the same impact on me. And I'll say this, too, as it did when I was a kid. But I'll say this, too. When I was a kid, we didn't have Internet. So when I got to go see Journey or Kiss uh, or Ario Speedwagon, you know, you were seeing somebody in person that you may only see that one. I never saw a video. There was no, not even TV yet. Right. So when I was when I was a teenager, I mean, when I was a teenager is when MTV started. But, but some of them early concerts, there weren't even MTV yet. And even if there was, I'd seen a video or two. So when I saw someone for the fir- first time, it, it, you know, it blew my mind. I didn't know 
you know, I hadn't Googled them and seen 27 things on the internet and, you know, I'd have them on my phone. And I mean, you thought, you thought, wow, that's Steve Perry, like in, you know, 47 feet in front of me, that's the real <laughs> Steve Perry. So it was yeah. a big, you know, it was a concerts were a big deal and they still are, but, um, I'll never forget seeing rush for the first time was, and, and, you know, the, the size of that light show and, and what, and what they did, uh, uh, didn't own a lot of this music necessarily, but the concert blew me away. David Bowie glass spider tour, um, with Peter Frampton on guitar. I was like, it's kind of one of those shows that I thought, you know, I, I like some David Bowie and my buddy's got some tickets, but the concert blew me away. Um, Billy Joel and Elton John, the tour they did where they had the, their pianist facing and they did like a, a dual concert. I saw that three times, Billy Joel, Elton John. Amazing. You know, Billy had come out and play a couple of songs and Elton would come out and Billy would leave and Elton and Billy would come back and Elton would come back and then Billy would come out and play some Elton John songs and Elton John would play some Billy Joel songs. And then they start playing all these songs together and they played everything you could think of. They got down to Billy Joel playing uh, Piano Man as a goodbye song. Elton played Candle in the Wind as a goodbye song. They'd been playing for like two and a half hours. And you thought the thing was over. And they come back out and say, you know, we're really not done, ready to quit yet, but we are out of our songs. And they sat down and they played Chuck Berry, Little Richard, The Beatles, um, <laughs> Jerry Lee Lewis. And they played for another 45 minutes of, of every piano rock song that you could think oh, of. And, and blew me away. That was an unbelievable concert. Stevie Ray Vaughan was wild. Um, something different I hadn't seen. Of course, Kiss is bigger than life. Um, you know, all those shows were were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like I'm not surprised you've seen Elton John and Billy Joel three times with uh, with a concert like that. Oh, it was it was fantastic. I saw them at uh, Texas Stadium where the Cowboys played. Um, not the one they're in now, but the the the, 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 the one before that. Um, just just a great concert. And and then you know we can then we can get into you know the, after the MTV era and with you know obviously the Motley Crue and Guns and Roses. I liked all those concerts and Poison and all that stuff. But it just the more accessible these bands are with the internet and all the things when you're my age, it, it just gets watered down a little more because you've got so much exposure with them. But when you saw someone for the first and only time you were ever going to see in your life on that stage, when you thought they were bigger than life. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of feel like that as well. I remember when I started going to concerts now, obviously there was internet and everything, but I feel like it was probably at the end of the time where you put musicians up on a pedestal. You know, my first concert was, I think, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And the feeling I had watching them, like it was like as if I was literally watching gods, you know. But nowadays, it's kind of, you know, all you have to do is go on YouTube. Like you were saying, you can Google anything and you're more, more accessible to them. You can watch the whole concert on YouTube. You can, you can watch the concert online. You can, you can, uh, all everybody today, they, you know, that the band that's touring is playing these dates and someone writes down the order of the songs and, you know, you go to a concert and half the people in the audience got the set list on the phone. They already know the, the next songs that are coming up and they've already seen the, the, the magic and the, 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 the pyrotechnics and cause they've seen it all on TV or on, you know, from, from, from videos and Googling it or, you know, DVDs, even concerts on DVD. So it's, it's just a little watered down um, in comparison, but, you know, you, you can't expect anyone who's not of my age to understand that because they didn't, you know, they didn't live. I'm 56 years old. So I saw concerts before, you know, uh, a lot of your audience and, uh, you know, the multitude of stuff they have now available to them is really cool. I, I do it all the time. I pull up concerts on my TV here, here at my place in Nashville, and I love having the accessibility, but it does, it does kind of diminish the experience because you're not seeing it for the first time live 
Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And your own shows then, for any listeners that haven't had the chance to catch one of your shows, what can they expect at an Andy Ross show? You know, we have a, a variety of uh, of shows. I, I find myself a lot of times opening for, for larger bands, so I'm on a multiple band tour or night. Um, or, you know, we go into two places and, and headline. And obviously the headlining show, we've got a lot more uh, uh, stage uh, presence and awareness. And, and uh, uh, then, we, you know, we're kind of trimmed down when we do a 45-minute opening set. And I think that the number one thing that, that they're going to find uh, if they come to an Andy Ross show, just, uh, just don't be under the impression you're, you're going to a country show. I promise you it's a rock show. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. Is there a specific gig? that you would relive over and over again if you could a gig you've played yeah um bristol motor speedway for the nra night race was a was a big 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 show um had an unbelievable time uh playing a show with the davison brothers uh old dominion and hank jr it was a lot of a lot of fun uh did a show up in at mountain fest in west virginia obviously playing my hometown of kansas city uh, was one I would do over and over again. And uh, oddly enough, not too long ago, I was in a uh, Kid Rock's bar here in Nashville on Broadway, and a lot of my family was in town for a for a wedding, and uh, they wanted to go down there. And I went out with them and met them down there. And John Stone and uh, his band was was up on Kid Rock stage, and they said, "Hey, we've got uh, Andy Ross in the house," and uh, they congratulated me on my new single, All American Heart. And they said, uh, and by the way, we know it. Why don't you get up here and play it with us? And I think even though that wasn't an Andy Ross concert, to get pulled up there a little spontaneously and having your family there and the place, you know, Kid Rock's bar is not a small bar. It's, you know, packed with a lot of people and just, just hearing the response to getting up there when no one, you know, expected it that was really memorable for me. And, uh, uh, just cause I had so much family in there and to see them, to see them see people think it was a really big deal that I was getting pulled on stage was really cool. And it was cool for me and it was cool for my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Geez. A proper rock star experience. Like just showing yeah. how much the rock star you are <laughs> not to get too negative now, but is there, a concert experience you would say was maybe a bad experience or the worst experience, and how did you overcome it? Hmm. Well, um, <laughs> we we got paid one time to drive up from Chanute to Kansas City to pick up a buddy of mine owned a uh, his parents owned a flower shop, and they had these this big big shipment of roses, like it was right before Valentine's Day, not far ahead of Valentine's Day. It came in by air freight in Kansas City, and we came up to Kansas City to pick them up, and they paid us to, to come up in this this big, uh, I guess you'd call it a minivan today, cargo van or whatever back then. And we got up towards Kansas City, and we found at Kansas City KY-102, we were coming up from Chanute, Kansas, the small town I was born and raised, and we heard that ACDC and Fastway were at Camper Arena that night. And... Uh, we thought, well, we could go to this concert and the airport's open 24-7. I mean, right? They don't shut that. They don't lock up the airport at night. <laughs> and we could go to this concert. And then after the concert, we'll go to the airport. So about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, we worked our way to the airport and we went in the airport. Well, we were just kids. We didn't realize the cargo airport and passenger airport uh, aren't the same thing. <laughs> so the cargo <laughs> So the cargo airport got locked up, but I don't know if they didn't have the, you know, where they unloaded the stuff and it didn't get back in refrigeration or whatever. But uh, let's just say uh, that was a, a concert experience that by the time we got back a day and a half, two days later with, uh, <laughs> with, I don't know how much money worth of flowers that probably should have been uh, taken better care of was not a great experience. I know you're asking for like an experience that happened at the concert. Um, I really haven't had a bad concert experience. I mean, I've, I've, I've been fortunate. I haven't 
been in a concert where people got hurt or seen people get hurt. I mean, we had, you know, we've had uh, groups that have had to cancel or maybe the opening band had to cancel or, you know, but I wasn't at, you know, I wasn't in St. Louis when Metallica and Guns N' Roses had their thing. You know, I mean, I just, I just haven't been involved in any of that. Thankfully, it's all been, uh, it's all been good. I love live music. You know, I, I love going to Lee Bryce concerts. A good friend of mine, he's a country artist, and and you know, I will tell you this: if you haven't been to country artists, if you haven't been to country band concerts, country guys tend to make their shows, even though they're country music. They definitely make them live more like rock shows. They they use lights and video and pirate, you know, and they play everything a little just with a little more edge than maybe on the record, with a little more energy that's on the record. And you know, Lee Rice is the king of of ballads and songs that you know touch heartstrings, and he's got five, six, seven, eight number ones. Forgive me, Lee, for not knowing the exact amount. Um, but you go see him live. And uh, it's it's a great energetic, you know, rock type show as well. So uh, just been blessed to see a lot of great shows. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a, a hell of a time anyway. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, with your gigs, I love giving the fans and listeners a little insight into your gigs, how you prepare for them. What's your pre-show ritual and your post-show ritual to wind to psych yourself up and to wind down afterwards? Yeah, now I have a I have a pretty much do have a pre-show ritual. Um the after show ritual could be could be uh you know altered around just by who was at the show and do you have guests at the show and and you know are there people that you're meet and greet and do different things and and are we are we going back to the the tour bus because we have to hit the road immediately to you know in time to get there get some sleep get another gig tomorrow or are we on easy street um, are we is the bus blocked in we have to wait for the festival to clear we got three hours to you know kind of party and hang out so the after thing is always a little different but before the show we're always at the venue in plenty of time usually eighty percent nine percent of the time we get a sound check and so I say this. To people and they think it's funny, but it's it, it's partly funny, but it's it's true. So I tend to have three beers before I go on the show. Um, I like three just seems to be like the number that kind of calms me down and kind of kind of energetic, <laughs> ready to rock. But I don't want to have six or seven or eight and not be at my you know performance best. So if you think about having three beers before you go on the show or before you go on stage. You can't down three beers in 10 minutes and go on stage. Um, so you, so about 45 minutes out, I almost, I don't really set a timer, but I have a mental timer. I'll crack open the first beer. Now you got to also remember when you drink beer, especially if you're going to drink two or three in a short period of time, you're going to have to use the, the facilities. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so you got to time that too, right? I mean, you can't down your last beer, go on stage by your second song going, I could really stand to <laughs> take a leak here. So you got to time that. And you don't want to down a bunch of carbonation and get up on stage and have, and maybe you have a burp, you know, you can't have that while you're sitting. So you got to, you got to handle these three beers and, and think about two, maybe, you know, toilet, Trips yeah. and how all that worked. Yeah. And then, you yeah. know, so this three beer ritual thing, this 45, you know, 45 minutes to an hour is a, is really a, a well thought out. And I do like about 15 minutes to myself before I go on. And, you know, 20, 25 minutes out, I start putting on what I'm going to wear on stage and I'm having probably the second beer, you know. So that's my thing. Fascinating insight, Sarah. I haven't heard one like that. No, not a, as much thought goes into drinking beers before a show i'm sure well, you, if you're gonna play for 90 minutes you don't want to get up there and think man I, I wish i would have taken a leak before i walked up here you know that's not the position you want to be <laughs> true, in for 45 true. minutes <laughs> be a pretty uncomfortable show all right <laughs> yeah so you gotta you gotta work all that out yeah yeah and before we move on to the last couple of questions what are your future plans so we're working on uh we're working on the latest album, the fourth album of music, uh, probably probably going to be called uh, 
one of the songs on the record's called Lucky to Be Alive. And I think that's what I'm going to call the album. Planning on spring, summer tour dates for sure. Lots of tour dates. And uh, taking off here through, you know, the holidays and the dead of winter. Uh, we do have a Christmas song out called Make Christmas Great Again that's currently out. But we'll finish the record and we'll get ready for a spring summer tour. At American Rebel, we get pretty busy because once we get past uh, Christmas and get into January, the trade show circuit starts. So January will be the SHOT Show out in Las Vegas, which is a big show for us. Uh, we got a couple small ones. February, the Great American Outdoor Show in uh, Pennsylvania. Big show, 10-day show. Uh, the Iowa Deer Classic and some other small shows are mixed in there. Uh, the NRA shows will be coming at us in April and May. Um, so we'll have these, you know, our, our Super Bowl of trade shows is kind of the fall. And spring, summer, I'll be hitting the road, uh, maybe uh, uh, headlining or maybe co-headlining with another band we're, we're you know, kind of talking with right now about how we're going to do this. But spring, summer will definitely be a lot of tour dates. Um, and then we're real, you know, also when you have those trade shows coming up, when you have a business and those big trade shows are coming up, that's also when you introduce new product, right? If you're going to roll out a new product, you want to roll it out at the SHOT Show in January and take it to the Great American Outdoor Show in February and so on. So, um, you know, right now we're working on product design and prototyping and, and getting things ready for the trade show circuit. So we're definitely keeping busy. Yeah. Jeez, I, I don't know how you do it. It's back to my opening line of, is there enough hours in the day? <laughs> Sometimes I put on a cape and fight crime at night, but normally I <laughs> try to get some sleep. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. And I have to ask as well, is there ever any interest to maybe tour overseas? You know, I would totally be interested for it if the interest was there to have us come overseas. You know, if if uh, if we could put something together um, that made sense and, you know, hopefully for more than just one show, it'd be kind of uh, cost prohibitive to come over, and just do one one show. But uh, yeah, if we could put a string of six, eight shows together and come over and and uh, make it all work out, I'd love to come over overseas and I'd, I'd, I'd love to come uh, see your beautiful country as well. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully someday it'll happen. If not, uh, hopefully when I make it to the States, I can catch one of your shows and rock out with you. Yep. If you make it over here and you give me any warning at all, uh, we'll make that happen. And we'll also make sure a trip to Nashville happens and uh, we'll give you the full-blown VIP uh, uh, Nashville experience. And there's a lot of great music in this town. Everybody says it's a drinking town with a music problem. <laughs> sounds like heaven <laughs> yeah you'd love it yeah yeah right we'll uh we'll jump on to the last couple of questions everybody gets these i'm afraid so you can't get off the answer um no problem. if there was an artist or performer from history you could see in concert for one night only who would it be um prince ah interesting choice why why so um you know i, I would say tom petty but i saw him five or six times uh, I never saw Prince. I did get exposed and, and liked his music. Um, you know, I didn't wear it out like my rock records, but I liked it. And then as he's passed, I've seen so many documentaries about how he played all the instruments on the record. And and I've also come to learn that Prince is an amazing top 10 guitar player on the, you know, that ever lived. I mean, you don't think of him as a guitar hero, uh, but a lot of people think he's the best guitar player that ever, ever walked the planet. Um, you know, when they, when they asked Billy Gibbons, how, how it felt to be the best guitar player, you know, in rock and roll, he said, I don't know. You're going to have to ask Prince. Um, if you see any of these things where he sets in with other bands as, and just as the guitar player, he's phenomenal. So I've gained all this, all this, just appreciation for his talent, but I never saw him. I never, I never went to see him when I had the opportunity. And obviously that opportunity has gone. So you're saying from history, Prince, um, and I might even throw to go way back. I might even throw Ray Charles. In. Ah, two very interesting concerts to be a hell of a night anyway. And the, uh, the next one, this is a, 
a strange one. If you could spend 24 hours locked inside a room with any performer from history, who would it be? From history? Mm. You know, uh, Tom Petty comes to mind because I've never been able to master the simplicity and that he played with that wrote such great songs and such great melody and hits in a simplistic way. Um, Tom Petty would, would, would certainly be uh, one that I'd, I'd love to pick his brain. Um, wow. Uh, this, this is probably crazy. I wouldn't mind spending a night with Elvis. Yeah. See yeah. what Elvis had to say. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind digging back into some of the old, uh, some of the old blues players that kind of created that blues rock and roll sound that maybe never had the opportunity to be mainstream. And, uh, and, and, you know, Robert Johnson and some of that stuff. So uh, I didn't give you one, but I hope that works. No, that was the the perfect answer. Especially you said Elvis. Once you say Elvis, you're good in my books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, uh, the final one, if there was a song to appear on the soundtrack to your life, what would it be? Oh, that's easy. I already wrote the song. It's called I Wrote This One Myself. It's off the uh, Time to Fight album. And uh, it's called I Wrote This One Myself. And the meaning of that is, is that my life wrote the song. If you listen to the lyrics and the, 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 the verses and the chorus, it's, it's the soundtrack of my life. And the part about it is your life wrote it. You don't get to change it. If you're really writing the song about your life, good, bad, and indifferent. And, uh, oh, my life is a song when I'm gone. Hope you all will sing. Hope every line that I write would make you smile when you remember me. Through hard times, wrongs and rights, crazy nights. You know, I might have had some help, but I can't blame no one else. When the last note has been sung, you know, I wrote this one myself. And uh, I don't I haven't played the song live in a while, so excuse the lack of melody there, but uh, I was just kind of throwing those lyrics out for you in, in part of the chorus. I mean, you wrote it, got to own it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's uh, finally I've got like the most perfect, complete answer to that question ever. <laughs> Google, uh, Google it. Andy Ross, I wrote this one myself. I will. I will. I'll take a listen now straight after uh, after this interview. Listen, Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've uh, really enjoyed the last hour chatting with you, you now and getting an insight into your music. I sure thank you for the opportunity. I hope to be invited back. And please, 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 the uh, the invite to get a hold of me if you ever get over here and, and come to Nashville is uh, it's not a, a pleasantry. It's a 100 uh, percent for real invite. I hope you take me up on it. Hippies and outlaws Calling all you suits and ties Calling all you prima donnas you Got a little wild child trapped inside Calling all you cops and robbers Cowboys, Indians and sidekicks too Hey y'all, do me a favor man Cut loose Everybody's got a little rebel in them Come on everybody, holler, it's alright Everybody's got a little Raise a little rebel hell tonight Oh yeah Calling all you men and women Gather around you boys and girls Calling folks from all religions All around this great big world Give me your high and mighty, give me your meek and mild Lovers, fighters, truckers and bikers, saddle up, let's ride Everybody's got a little rebel in them, come on everybody, holler, it's alright Everybody's got a little devil in them, help me raise a little rebel, hell
Come on, everybody, holler, it's all right. Everybody's got a little devil in them. Help me raise a little rebel hell tonight. Everybody's got a little rebel in them. Come on, everybody, holler, it's all right. Everybody's got a little devil in them. Help me raise a little rebel hell Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.